Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Clinton Crute. We're the editors of Film Comment. This week, we're reporting from Berlin, where the 2023 edition of the Berlinale is currently underway. Throughout the festival, we'll be sharing daily podcasts, dispatches, and interviews covering all the highlights of this year's selection. So follow along on the Film Comment Podcast and the Film Comment Letter. Tschüss! Welcome to another episode of the Film Comment Podcast from Berlin. We are getting to the end of the festival, to the end of the podcast run, but we've seen some amazing films, actually, I think, in the last couple of days. So I'm excited to have uh, an excellent crew of guests with me today to kind of work through the latest haul that we have fished from the depths of the Berlinale lineup. I will first ask our debutante Film Comment guest to introduce herself. Thank you, Devika. Um, my name is Caitlin Quinlan. I'm a critic and writer from London. I'm very pleased to be on the podcast for the first time. This is like, you know, I think in London you guys have like Deb Balls or some shit. Uh, this is the New York version. Just yes. so you, this is your coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad. In a veteran. My name is Ine Prakash. I'm a founder and director of a festival in New York called Prismatic Ground. Cool. And Edo, also a a frequent appearer. I'm Edo Choi, Associate Curator of Film at the Museum of the Moving Image, and I'm covering the festival for the museum's publication, Reverse Shot. Great. So uh, we have quite a few movies to get through. Caitlin, I know you've seen Totem by Lila Aviles, which mm -hmm. is in competition, uh, and you said you liked it. Yes, I liked it. And um, maybe you want to walk us through the film. Sure, yeah. sure. So the film um, is sort of mainly focused around uh, the preparation for this party. Um, we kind of start with young girl Sol, I think her name is Solicito, and her mother, um, and they're preparing to kind of go to their aunt's house. And they're essentially hosting a party for Sol's father, who is very ill. Um, I don't know if we ever actually learn what illness he has, but I think it's a cancer of some kind. Yeah. He's very ill and um, it's his birthday. Um, they're throwing a party to celebrate him and his life. Um, and really the film just sort of operates in this domestic space and we follow, you know, how the sisters preparing and their father, who's kind of this... Uh, very um, stoic and uh, sort of patriarch of the family who doesn't do much, um, but is clearly suffering through his, his son's illness. And there are lots of, it's, it has a sort of coming of age thread to it as well as Sol is kind of growing up in this, you know, family dynamic where she's about to potentially lose her dad. Um, and yeah, so there's quite a lot of like family emotion through it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, sort of this, this look at uh, um, the domestic space. And, yeah. yeah. And, and what did you think of it? I did, I liked it. Um, I think it has some of the trappings of, you know, what I tend to say is like a festival-y film. Um, it's sort of quite, um, quite reserved in plot and sort of has a lot of, you know, an ensemble cast of characters. You've kind of got these very beautiful framed shots and, um, and yeah, a kind of sense of, uh, sort of thematic subjects but not not kind of a, a great sense of plot or narrative um but it's very beautiful and it's very it has a lot of emotion to it I think um so there's lots to to really I, I felt very compelled by it but I just felt a little bit like I'd seen this kind of movie a couple of times before yeah. especially when it comes to to children in this kind of film um it's it's not that the film is 
I've been using the word twee a lot at this festival. I've seen a lot of films about children that have yeah. kind of entered this space of schmaltzy cuteness and the kids are the, you know, the focal, focal point. And that's not to say that the, the kids are bad performers or the acting is bad in any way. I actually think in this film, um, the, the, the children and, and all the cast actually is, is very strong, but it does just have this sense of, um, yes, as I said, something we've seen before and a kind of focus on, on the very fact that their children, you know, being the essence of the plot and not necessarily um, being used in a new way or, or a more inventive way. So before I go ahead, I will just say to listeners that you might hear all sorts of noises in the background. This is because we're sitting on the floor of the press <laughs> lounge in the Berlinale Palast. I will not make any pretensions of glamour. We are doing our best to report from literally the ground. Uh, so bear with us. Uh, but Caitlin, I think I completely agree with you in the sense of familiarity I had from the film. Mm -hmm. It's a good film. There's yeah. nothing in particular to dislike about it. It's beautifully directed. Um, the performances are really natural, mm -hmm. uh, very tender. Uh, it's shot with these warm colors like this domestic space just comes to life in this very vivid palpable way um the interactions between the characters all kind of tumble into each other and and tumble between comedy and drama and tenderness kind of fluidly mm -hmm. there's there's some really really funny moments especially between the grandfather and the children yeah um and I will also say the film has some of the best title design I've seen in a long time. Yes, totally. I And I noticed uh, this is a very kind of niche festival point, but uh, when they kind of have the Berlinale competition, kind uh -huh. of it, ident come up, um, there's like a red one that you can have with certain films of this festival. And it works so well. It bleeds into the kind of title effects of this film. And yeah, um, yeah really uh, And the credits really also have yeah. these illustrations yeah, of animals. Yeah. I mean, it's it, all that, all this attention to detail and craft is beautiful. But it's just a film I've seen before. It's yeah. absolutely a film I've seen before. And I mean, it's it's sort of La Cienaga without the political edge. For sure. You know? I mean, it's a very sure. different kind of film, so I don't want to make a glib comparison. But everything that feels good about this film has been done before, like the claustrophobic setting, these mm -hmm. kinds of familiar resentments that are mixed with tenderness, this kind of tonal... Um, just uh, seesawing. But the film is so much about family and it's so humanist. I mean, it's it's really about this family and their emotions and the children and the parents. It doesn't zoom out at all. So that it just doesn't have what La Cienaga or even Alcaraz, which won yes. the Golden Bear last year, which is, I think, also kind of a similar familial drama. Both totally. of them had, like, something larger. And, I'm, you know... This film is what it is. I can't say I, you know, it's like I wanted it to be a different film, but, mm. but it feels a bit trite at the end of the day to have something like this that just speaks to pretty familiar, familiar and familial kind mm. of themes that feel rather universal and not specific to the setting um, in any way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think she's an excellent filmmaker. Yeah. Her last film, The Chambermaid, was also pretty strong and someone to watch out for. But I hope that she finds, you know, something that feels very particular to her as as a filmmaker. But, you know, it's it's one of the better films I've seen here. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I had lots to like about it, but I think it does just kind of, uh, you know, it it's sort of hindered by, yeah, this rep repetitive style and form. And also this kind of chamber drama piece. I think it's not even just in festival films, but it's becoming quite a, a common way of, uh, you know, 
kind of containing a story like this and, and, and not really, as you say, look outwards. Um, there's another film in the competition called 20,000 Species of Bees. I, I don't heard know if you've it spoken being about compared, that. no. Yeah, so, so that film is, is uh, Spanish um, and it, it, very similar to Alcaraz as well, um, but with much more of a, um, I, I think Alcaraz is a better film on the whole, um, mm. but the 20,000 Species of Bees to sort of briefly touch on it is more about um, a young girl's experience with um, gender dysphoria and coming to terms with the fact that she is a girl and, and, and her family struggling with that. So it has this same kind of um, familial dynamics and, and kind of um, conflicts and, and, and tensions. And it's set in this kind of agricultural space where the family keep uh, uh, keep bees and you know they make honey and beeswax and things so yeah there's very similar themes and styles emerging across some of these films at many festivals that I've been to in the last sort of two three years so a film like Totem definitely suffers I think through through comparison in some ways yeah um have either of you seen in the face of the jellyfish no. okay um I'll save that for later the the twee uh invocation kind of reminded me of that but let's go yes. a different direction uh i want to talk about another film by a spanish filmmaker but which is not set in spain or latin america and that is samsara by lois patino um which is set in laos and tanzania uh to my understanding and i have heard some people say this is like the film of the year the film of the berlinale other people very unmoved by it so i'm i'm really interested in hearing you three talk about it uh ine you want to kind of lead us in yeah i'll say i enjoyed the experience of watching this movie i think we're watching really um skilled filmmaking not only from patino but um the people shooting the movie as well uh one of whom includes jessica sarah rinland who's a filmmaker in her own right um and the film is uh basically split into three sections the first takes place in laos the second is a um transitional uh a sort of transitional uh piece that uh it demands the viewer's participation in a way i, d I don't want to spoil it yeah. un unless we get to that point but i i really enjoyed it mm -hmm. um it, it was definitely a, a highlight of, you know, cinema, uh, of being at the cinema at the Berlinale. And then the third section is in Tanzania. And the idea is that we are following a soul as they move from one body through uh, the afterlife to another body. And this is based, um, you know, as the director said afterwards on his, um, you know, discovery of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, so I think on the surface, there's like, uh, it's a recipe for, for, uh, a, you know, it's a problematic recipe, obviously, of course, and touchy subject to have a white filmmaker, uh, you know, going to, um, going into this territory, but I actually was not, uh, I didn't feel that that was an issue at all. Um, if there was a problem with the film for me, to me, it's that it didn't, you know, achieve the sort of uh spiritual realm that it aspires to i've had a sort of a personal ongoing project over the last year of um around uh just an interest in spiritual cinema or you know what dorsky might call devotional cinema and um films that either uh sort of um depict a spiritual state or attempt uh to invoke a spiritual state in the viewer. And I don't think this, 
I think I feel that the film was trying to succeed on those terms and didn't, but it was still aesthetically uh, quite interesting to me. Um, and uh, has, as an aside, maybe uh, the animal performance of the year. <laughs> okay, Edo, you saw it too. Yeah, I, I mean, I I have to agree with Anae. I I felt that spirit as as a film freighted with spiritual themes and thematics. I didn't really think it achieved liftoff but i thought it was just a very um immersive visual and uh auditory experience and i and i think that in fact because patino said this in the q a the transition between the two states the two places uh which was the seed of the film it was the the initial inspiration was so that he could have this sequence, which again, we won't really reveal in its details. And it, these themes from the Tibetan book of the dead about reincarnation transition between bodies, uh, I think are an excuse for this kind of AV experience, this formal or sensual experience. And, but what I think is, really successful about the film and quite moving about it is his genuine curiosity in other places, in places that he hasn't experienced, and that the film is a journey to these places. And without a great amount of framing or prejudgment or... And I found it kind of um, refreshingly uncomplicated uh, in its uh, attempt to establish a connection with something that it was foreign to the filmmaker and yeah that can also be viewed as problematic but i just thought it was kind of touchingly naive and it worked for me in that respect um if i can just add a quick note Mm. to what edo said before i get to caitlin um i mean a lot of the films in this festival are beautiful i don't think any images have struck me as much as the images in this film i mean it, it just is so palpably beautiful the the way it captures color nature the superimpositions it's just a kind of very pure beauty that doesn't feel remote that doesn't feel too cool to the touch um i i just it really was so refreshing you know like cleansing to watch um and i've been thinking a lot about this question of going to a foreign land especially if you're a white western filmmaker and i'm I always have my skepticism about that stuff because it's often less actually about the film and the images and more about the structural dynamics, right, that that make it easier or more marketable for one group to make these kinds of images of another than the reverse. And um, but I'm always interested in the possibility of cross-cultural encounter. Like, can we have encounter that is not extractive? And I don't know. But there is a forum um, program, a retrospective shorts program, I think number five. Did you see that, in a? You'll have to remind me what films are in it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's films by uh, Gautam Vora and Chetna Vora. I didn't see that one. Okay, so it's, it's these two short films by two Indian students um, uh, who studied in German film schools, I believe, in the 70s and 80s. I, I won't say too much about them uh, right now, but I'll just say that I watched them one of them by uh, Gautam Bora is is sort of a portrait of uh, agriculture in Germany. So he kind of goes to a village and films a farming family. 
and narrates it and is kind of making comparisons to Indian agricultural practices at the time. And the reason I went to say this is because I was like, this may be a reverse ethnography. I wouldn't call it an ethnography, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, does it feel different when it's not the West looking at the East? Um, and I don't know, these questions have just been very much top of mind for me. And uh, in the on the level of the images itself, I think that why does some, why does a filmmaker feel something is significant? Says a lot to me. And while watching Samsara, even though I was so blown away by it, I couldn't figure out like why he thought, for instance, this tradition of spirituality was significant other than the fact that it felt kind of beautiful to partake in. You know, why is it significant? It feels special to him maybe because of his positionality. It doesn't feel necessarily all that unique or special to me, the spiritual traditions he captures. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, you know, people should take the film on its own terms, so maybe I won't go deep into this, but what he said uh, in the Q&A wasn't totally flattering to his understanding <laughs> of <Okay>. <laughs> the <laughs> specific spiritual dimensions and, cult, you know, culture of what we're seeing. Yeah. But, you know, on the on the topic of a Westerner going uh, and to another place and, and making a film, I think the problem, you just always have to be on your guard against it. It's just a risky move, you know, yeah. mm. You're, uh, it, because it fails most of the time. In this case, I don't think it entirely fails on, on no, that basis No, and I also alone. don't want to, like, speak as if it's automatically wrong, exactly. right? Right? Like we, we have to have some rubric of judgment for it. And, and that was mine when I was trying, I was watching these films. That's what I came up with. Like the Indian student is filming these German farmers. It's very clear why he thinks this is worth filming. You know, there is a particular connection to his own experience, his own cultural uh, background. He's drawing connections between Indian and German agriculture. And sometimes when Western filmmakers film these settings, I'm like, I don't know why you think this is interesting other than it feels different to you. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think for me, actually, the kind of the sort of formal and visual trick that I don't want to go into too much, but that occurs in the middle of the film in a way is actually the part for me that that avoided some of what you've been saying. I think a lot of the visual beauty and the choice of these these countries and these communities has a has a very problematic edge. But for me, the the sort of section in the middle where there's a sort of void that we're kind of entering, and I think it allows room for clear interpretation ultimately it's not you know again without <laughs> saying too much it's not there are not specific images being shown let's say um and there's a kind of invitation for self-reflection and, and a kind of personal moment in the film that i think allows for yeah a sort of interior um moment in the film that that maybe makes it a bit more um effective or that 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 sort of takes away this like gaze on somebody else and turns the turns this gaze inwards um and so for me that that moment worked well I think it creates a sort of gap and an absence that can be filled by whatever you want to fill it with and that to me doesn't suggest a sort of uh yeah as I said like an outward gaze but definitely I think I think you're you're totally right um it's it's such a beautiful film I was reminded a lot of um, Syndromes in a Century, the Pichabong Wurosethkul film, um, because that contrast of the monk's orange robes against kind of green tropical plants is just one of the most beautiful things. Um, and I, I also just to quickly mention, to come back to this twee point, I did find the film a little twee. Um, <laughs> Caitlin's word of the festival. Word of the festival. <laughs> Even, I mean, there's, there's a young child in it. And as Inia has mentioned, a, a great animal towards the end. Um, there are a lot of goats in films at the Berlinale this year. And this is a standout goat. Um, <laughs> but it, there's this kind of cutesy sense to it that I just, I felt 
a bit kind of, I lost my patience with that maybe yeah. towards the end. Um, but that could also just be fatigue from this trend that's occurring at the, <laughs> at the festival. Yeah, I think it's it's corny, yeah. right? Like the spiritual aspects of this are very corny. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. The dialogue is scripted, right? I mean, some of it is I just so stilted sound. Yeah, he felt a tension with itself at times because it felt like he was trying to work with the people in each place and distill things from their natural everyday lives and then at the same time nudge it towards what he wanted to mm. express. And And I felt at times there was real tension there or just a lack of resolution. Um, but... Yes, goats seem to be a theme <laughs> of Berlinella this year. Uh, in uh, Absence, the yeah. Encounters film, and then um, also in the uh, Angela Shanalek, which I know you'll yeah. be yes. discussing later. Um, in, in reference to your uh, Pichet Pong comment, I, Caitlin, I, yeah, I think, if anything, the, the, you know, part of the aesthetical failings of this film are not uh, related to um, ethnographic or exoticizing gaze, but more it's uh, derivative. D- of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, it's a bit derivative yeah. of of East Asian cinema, and yeah. particularly uh, yeah. of Pong. Also, sure. I thought of Sai also just in some of the of course, yeah, yeah. scenes. Well, uh, let's go to A Fire, the new film by Christian Petzl that the three of you just emerged from. <laughs> Uh, and that was my most anticipated film at the festival. And uh, Caitlin, again, maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about what it's sure. about. Yeah. Um, yes. So uh, the story follows uh, Leon, who's a writer. Um, him and his friend Felix have kind of gone to this house in um, by the German sea- shore, by the seaside. Baltic not- Sea. Baltic Sea, yeah. right. Um, and uh, they get there to work and Felix is going to work on his art portfolio and Leon is going to work on his new novel. They're sort of interrupted by the presence of Nadia, who's played by Paula Beer, um, who they aren't expecting to be at the house. And this kind of new dynamic emerges among among the group. Um, And uh, Leon is a very insecure writer and man in many ways. And uh, the film really... um, toys with his insecurities <laughs> in a very enjoyable way, I would say. It is the funniest pet sold film I've oh, ever seen. Sure. I mean, this guy is so pathetic. Yeah. Leon is <laughs> yeah. the most pathetic protagonist of any pet sold film and in a very ridiculous way because he is a writer who is full of himself and those are the most annoying people on earth. For sure. Uh, I, I have more to say about the film, but um, Edo, Ine, what did you guys think of it? Like, just first impressions. I liked it. I, yeah, he's a bit of a drip, right? Like that's like, this. that's the character. The character is just all of the most self-loathing aspects of probably all of us here. <laughs> um, Speak for yourself. And, <laughs> uh, and I, but I, yeah, I, I liked it very much uh, with, while at the same time, uh, Petzold always at, in at least one moment in his films, in all of his films, completely astonishes me. There's like a sequence or a 
turn of the plot. And this one, there there was a sort of lack of surprise mm. to it. And there were moments where I even felt I was able to predict where it was going or what was going to happen. And I've not felt that before. So I'm still kind of wrestling with that and mulling that over. Uh, but I thought it was very effective and um, oddly moving as yeah. all of his films are. Mm. Uh, and I want to hear from you, but before that, Caitlin has to leave to go to a screening in like a minute or something. Yes, apologies. Um, but I, I very much, I do agree with, with, with what Edo's saying. I think there's a straightforwardness to this film that maybe is something that he's not necessarily, that Petzold has not necessarily, um, gone with before. Um, but for me, it was incredibly funny, as you say, Devika, incredibly enjoyable. I think Thomas Schubert is so perfect in this role so so perfect and Franz could not have done it as much oh, as I love no, Franz no Rowski. absolutely yeah. not absolutely not he, he the look in his eyes just says everything <laughs> and I think there is a really uh there's a really kind of interesting dynamic that plays out between Leon and, and Nadia that was just so satisfying by the mm. end that for me it really really worked and I, I, I thought there was a kind of poetic sense of atmosphere as well. Another thing to note is that there are these looming forest fires um, in the area of Germany that they're in. And that creates this real sense of dread and tension, um, but also of just kind of surrounding collapse that I think Leon is feeling internally. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it, it's a really beautiful expression of that. Um, and for me was, yeah, a great, I, I mean, Christian Petzold is one of my favorite working filmmakers and this did not disappoint me in any way. So very pleased. <laughs> All right. Well, we will let you go with that yes. and hope that this next film also does not disappoint. Thank you so much for having me. Um, hope to be back soon. Of course. Thanks, Caitlin. Ine? I think this movie... Uh, should have been called Straight Fire. I'm sorry. No, I take that back. I uh, did love it, though. I It was also my most anticipated. Um, I'm an unapologetic uh, and total Petzold fan. In this house, we love Christian Petzold. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just exquisite thinking person's melodrama. Um, and the film totally delivered on those counts. It kind of... Um, takes the some some classic European film recipes and subverts them in various ways. There's elements of, you know, Jules and Jim, of a Voyage to Italy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thematically subverted. Um, of course, they say now every film is about toxic masculinity and, and this one as well. Yeah, I mean, lots of films at the Berlinale for sure. I This is to some extent, but I think it's, it's something a little more specific than that. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really loved this film. Um, not, I mean, I don't know if it's worth it to compare it with, you know, his other films. I, I don't really necessarily like talking about movies that way, but I do agree with Edo that there is, his other movies have a more sweeping romanticism and real kind of moments of drama that, that like can stun you. I mean, moments of like love at first sight. I mean, that's a classic, you know, uh, and then mo moments of loss, like often towards the end of the movies. Um, and this is not a movie that has those kinds of intense moments. Um, it is really like a comedy, like a summer comedy in many ways. But I found that, I don't know, th there's something about this film that doesn't make sense. And that 
to me feels magical in some way like it's not a magical realist film but there are these like strange gaps in in almost like logic that that feel enchanted in some way or enchanted or maybe even dystopic and i don't want to spoil too much but the relationship between sort of the fires which is the this apocalyptic circumstance that one might relate to climate change and the idea of a world on collapse and then this very internal melodrama between these characters and their resentments and their little conflicts and maybe like love that the connection between those things is not causal logical at all there is it it feels completely random in a way that you know it, it feels like a, a, the kind of um the kind of magic that a melodrama has where things happen without explanation but they all seem to somehow be they have seem to have some cause that isn't on the rational level you know that doesn't operate rationally and i found i found myself really taken with it um and the other thing i just want to mention about this film is that like all of petzold's films this like some of his favorite themes are work love history and i think this film purports to be about love to some extent it's not really i think it's about work and the nature of work and um i interviewed him recently which will be on film common next week and he talked a little bit uh about like why he wanted to make a summer movie because mm-hmm. he was watching romare films during the pandemic and mm-hmm. thinking about the f- summer movie in france and the summer movie in america the summer movie in france is leisure you know where you fall in love and you like go you become an adult in america it's when you go off to on a vacation and like fight monsters and become an adult and so he's yeah. like thinking about this kind of idea of the summer but also like this education takes place in the absence of work yeah and so he's like really thinking about how work permeates the lives of these characters in different way during this leisurely cinematic time of the summer and i i really was like even before i talked to him that is what gripped me about the film again without being too specific there are lots of conversations in the film about what constitutes work what constitutes real work yeah. you know yeah. uh, whether writing is overvalued as work and what our relationship to work like makes us as people in this world like how does it make us approach the world right. and i found that quite striking and it's it's um unusual for him especially in his recent films to zero down on that theme without some kind of grand historical or political framework right yeah. but it although it still plays out with a class discourse like a very marked oh definitely discourse. the his yeah. contempt for right. Right. anything that's not creative labor yeah yeah and yeah and the way one's perception changes of a person changes based on their occupation uh, and uh, you know as you mentioned too you know there's always political allegory at work in in petzold and you, you uh, the you do feel the climate change thing yeah. as well but it's not overbearing and it's certainly not doesn't seem to be the primary point yeah yeah well i i i have a lot more to say about the film but as i said there's an interview coming and um i'm going to have some germans on the podcast uh, next to i i've I feel like the reception in Germany is actually very different from the US to uh, Petzold and some of these directors that we love. So we'll talk more about it soon. Uh but there's two other sort of uh great auteurs uh if I may use the word with some scare quotes um uh who showed films in the last couple of days that I I'd love to talk about. So maybe we can start with The Plow. Um the Philippe Garel of Chariot. Yeah. I I um love this film it's it's probably my favorite narrative film in the festival 
and uh, it's shot very beautifully by um, Renato Berta on 35mm in color, which is it's the first uh, film that Garel has made in color in uh, over a decade, I think since An Ete Poulon, or A Burning Hot Summer in 2011. And it's a family affair, as has been already much touted and written about uh, all the Garel siblings appear in the film. There's three of them. Yeah, all three. Esther, <laughs> Louis, and... Lina. Lina. Uh, and um, it has some kind of classic Garel idiosyncrasies and, um, at this point, anachronisms, uh, motifs involving artists ripping up their paintings in the metro uh, in... 2023 uh, and uh, electroshock therapy and an asylum and these kinds of story points that are clearly drawn from Garel's own experiences as a bohemian artist in the 1960s and 70s that might feel a little out of step with this moment and I've already seen some um, uh, criticisms uh, lobbied at the film with respect to um, his kind of clinging to that moment and how uh, out of step they are with this time. But I was really moved by the film because it uh, is, as all his films are, finally kind of this direct establishment of some kind of umbilicus to his unconscious. Um, many of the film scenes uh, begin with characters who are sleeping and then they've just had dreams. There's, there is a dream sequence in the film and it becomes this quite uh, self-reflexive without being twee or cute uh, reflection on time and memory. Mm. So, yeah. Ine, were you similarly moved or? I was... Uh... Moved by Edo's description of the film. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I look oh, forward I'm to so it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you did. Um, well, I I went to this film with like pretty low expectations, frankly, um, because I just didn't like the salt of tears much. Um, and God, I was like a, a puppeteering family having some little family problems, you know. And I was surprisingly quite moved by it. I think um, it's lovely. It's one of I I like it the best of kind of his recent few films yeah me too um i think i'm not quite as convinced as you i think ultimately it feels a little it's certainly not my favorite narrative film there is something a little familiar and maybe slight to me about it um i don't think it necessarily goes too much beyond its scope uh of a very personal kind of take on art as you were describing and but I don't even don't know if I could have expected that from Garel at this point either. Like something, you know, a more kind of ambitious statement on on these issues. The thing that really moved me was that you know it feels like a family film in the sense that it is quite lovely to see Louis and Lena and Esther act together as siblings. Their dynamic is very natural and warm, and um, sort of them talking about puppeteering, which you know I guess is sort of the surrogate. For film in in this movie, uh, film is like the Garel family craft. Uh, the, the way they talk about it, the way they talk about their sort of almost ancestral at this point relation to it, the way they talk about you know, Garel is confronting. I mean, he's kind of like 
maybe this is a spoiler, but he's really confronting his encroaching mortality, what where that leaves his children, what it means to be in an artistic profession, also raise children who enter that same profession, which can be great, which can also be precarious, which can feel meaningful, which can feel meaningless, you know. Um, so I was... I, it, Unlike the last couple of films, this one felt so direct and intimate. Like there was no affectation or pretense, even if some of the things feel like you know, anachronistic. Yeah. It's it's quite like frank, and um, that that pierced me really. Yeah. 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 There's there's just images in it that are gonna haunt me, and I agree with you that it, I don't think it's actually structurally fully worked out, and the ending is sort of abrupt, and yeah. there's there's things to nitpick about the film. I just felt that in the way that the film itself thematizes with respect to this family that is watching its forebears pass away and having to deal with the legacy, uh, the film is dealing with his awareness that not just that he will be passing on at some point in the not too dear distant future and leaving behind his children, but then also that this way of filmmaking and the kind of cinematic poetry that he embodies, that's going to go with him yeah. too. And, and none of that is necessarily like super new. This is like artists deal with their, you know, with their aging and mortality in these ways through film. But there is something very personal to it that, that is quite charming. Before we move on to the next film, I just want to say a quick side note about this film, which is, I don't know if you guys have seen Passages. Uh, we already talked about it a bunch at Sundance, but... Since then, I have grown to, you know, even more strongly question that film. And one of my reservations about that film when I watched it was that, you know, I didn't even like The Salt of Tears that much. And I felt like that was a better treatment of the same kind of subject. And then I see The Plow and there are actually a lot of similarities in sort of the like the messy man child who, you know, has these relation unstable relationships and is like preoccupied with his art and it it just exposed even more the contrast where passages really is drawing from these great french and european auteurs who have made movies like these for a long time and it's trying to put kind of this very modern twist on it which i think really works for some people but you watch something like girl which is just simple and gets that point across with such simplicity without, you know, trying to be super cool and kooky. And it it really kind of, you know, I don't know, it's hard to kind of exceed this kind of depiction, I think. So that's my little side note. <laughs> now I really want to see passages. <laughs> I don't want to overplay the similarities, but just the characterization of the protagonist of passages is very similar to a Garel hero or... I, I mean, uh, on that podcast, I compared it to the, the Sunshine Inn. I mean, these movies that, I mean, it, it feels like a very French movie, but except, you, yeah, just trying to make it kind of modern in a in a very kind of flashy way that doesn't, I don't know. I just think watching The Plow, I was like, yeah, see, I mean, this is exactly the same point delivered with like this classic French just directness that, that I really enjoy. Um, let's take a couple minutes to wrap up by talking about another much-awaited film. And I know in a this was a big film for you, Allensworth by James Benning. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think it would be surprising to people who have kept pace with James Benning's uh, recent work. It's another landscape film uh, composed of a series of static shots. Um, but uh, I do think in, in comparison to last year's um, uh, United States of America, it's a bit more substantive and in, in, in substantive in the context uh, that surrounds it. Um, Allensworth uh, is was a sort of intentional black community founded um, in the valley uh, near LA in the early 20th century. Uh, it's not far from where Benning lives. And so he um, went there and uh, made sort of one of these shots uh, on each month of the year. And so we have 12 total. Uh, and uh, there are buildings uh, in these shots that are not actually from the original town, but were reconstructed in the 70s um, as a sort of educational tribute. Um, and uh, yeah, there's something, uh, I think, you know, Benning says that he wants people to see the film and then Google it. But I, you know, I think it's worth knowing a little bit beforehand and add something to the experience. Um, it's actually quite moving to contemplate. The compositions are masterful and quite painterly. Um, you know, Benning looks a lot to fine art. Um, uh, and considers himself a fine artist. Uh, you know, he mentioned Eggleston as a particular uh, influence for this film. Um, and uh, there is also, uh, you know, it's a, I would call it a twist for a, for a Benning film. Uh, a, and United States of America also had a pretty nice, like, an even bigger twist, I would say. It, it but did, yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. But th this was not meant as a twist, I right, don't think. Right, but we yeah. do see there is a, a, a take in which a person appears reading the poetry of Lucille Clifton. And I found that to be a, quite a lovely yeah. interjection in between the, the, the other shots. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved the experience and I loved, um, you know, think the, the thoughts that inspired about the American landscape and ownership and to whom it belongs, you know, that this town, um, was purchased at three times the normal value from, uh, you know, because it's, and it's not particularly, um, you know, it wasn't the best like purchased around. by African-Americans exactly. for a, a, an inflated for price. For an inflated yeah. price in an undesirable area because it was the only land they could get. And, yeah. um, yeah, I'm curious. What did you think of the film? Uh, I really was wowed by it, actually. Um, I think it's good to go into the film. I think, yes, you should know what Alan's worth is. I think that's important. But just watching the film with a pretty fairly blank slate is is a very nice experience. Um, you know, it, it's just these like very bending things. Um I couldn't tell for the first four or five shots if they were still images or shots, you know? And then there's a, and I I still don't know, but there's one shot in which a train, suddenly you see a train going past, like behind this house. It's just, it's such a delightful moment to be like, because I was literally looking at every blade of grass and branch of a train. I was like, is it moving? I can't tell if it's moving. And then, you know, about 15 minutes later, you see a train moving. And it's, it, it there's just this, you know, I've been thinking a lot about films at festivals which have these long, still, observational shots. That's kind of a uh, cliche. And often I can't tell if that's saying something. Like, how do you judge this kind of filmmaking, which is very spare? 
with the bending, you can just see the rigor in the compositions. I mean, it's so, the way movement and stillness interact is so remarkable and riveting. And these shots last for a very long time. And I found my mind wandering, but not in a way that felt like I was distracted, but almost like the film was opening up the space for me to think. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk, go back to the spiritual thing, not that this is yeah. religious or anything, but in the if you're thinking about mindfulness and meditation, there's an element of that to this. And Benning teaches a class at CalArts called um, Looking and Listening, which mm. I think if people struggle with this is a good guide to how to approach the work. Just yeah. like you said, take the time to observe uh, every element of it the way uh, you would a painting. I don't think anybody would object to looking at a painting for 10 minutes. No, so yeah. Why object to looking at it? And then it's a, so amazing yeah. to see it come alive in this exactly. sudden way. Um, yeah, and I think even though it's a film that the political context surrounds it, except for a couple shots, they, it doesn't arise from the film. I think it's like, it felt quite... I was okay with that. I was okay with having to put pieces together afterwards to extract the political content of the film. And that still, I felt that there was something very meaningful about that, about witnessing, uh, you know, about like think contemplating like the emptiness of this town, like the emptiness that he captures through these buildings and the kind of landscape that, you know, was taken over for, for the establishment of a... I mean, again, I don't want to say too much for someone who may not know the entire context, but was taken over for a kind of sovereignty. It's, it's, there's a lot that the film provokes through very simple and sparse images, and that's a unique thing. Yeah. Totally agreed. Well, I think we will wrap it up there. We got through a bunch of movies, and I think most of them good, which which is such a nice uh, podcast. You know, some of them have been a little more uh, gripey. Thank you both so much for joining me, and I'll see you both uh, soon in Brooklyn. Yeah, see, see you in Brooklyn. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. 